Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey guys, I want to let you know that today's episode is a special one. They're all special. I really do believe that, that every single episode is special. Every single one blows my mind in a different way. But this one is special for a different reason. It's in 3D. Yeah, 3D audio. That is a thing. I didn't even know that was a thing. So get your earbuds or your headphones and join us for this very special 3D conversation with Howie and Carol Baskin. I think you were really offended that people would think you were so stupid as to be with somebody that could possibly have killed their husband. You're a smart guy. I mean, he's a Harvard MBA. He's got a law degree. He's a really smart guy. He would not be living with a murderer. If you binge-watched Tiger King during the early days of the pandemic, then you may think you know everything there is to know about Carol and Howie Baskin. You probably have an idea about them in your head, maybe even a suspicion or two. Well, and I've said that to people. I've said, look, you know, first of all, I would have to be the stupidest man in the world to marry someone if I thought there was any inkling of a chance that that she was responsible for the disappearance of her husband. And anyone who gets to know Carol for even a relatively brief period of time would realize that is absolutely ridiculous. When I tell people, and I've told a lot of people, that I interviewed Carol and Howie for Committed, they ask me one thing. Do you think she killed her first husband? Do you think she fed him to the tigers? I pause because I like a dramatic pause. And then I tell them, and I'm going to tell you right here in the top of this episode, I do not. I want to get it out of the way right up front because I think that I have a good sense for people. I am Sicilian. My people are witches. We know things. And after spending a whole morning talking to Carol and Howie, I just don't think that she fed her first husband to a tiger. I do think that this is a couple who were victims of some very sensational media that just happened to coincide with all of us being locked in our houses so that we became obsessed with this story. So no, I do not think Carol Baskin is a murderer. And I hope that doesn't come back to haunt me. What I do think is that Carol and Howie are a pretty interesting couple who are very, very in love with one another. They are a couple who are approaching their third decade together without ever having a fight. And they're approaching it with love and humor. And despite all of the media blah blah blah, despite the death threats from Joe Exotic, 
and despite that they're out there every day on this global fight to just save some tigers. These cats are suffering every single day at the hands of people who are being idolized and glamorized as these quirky characters and made it so much more popular for people to go and have their pictures made with cubs. And I needed to get that message out as to why that's such a horrible thing to do to these cats. There is so much about Howie and Carol that you did not see on Tiger King. And today, we are bringing you their love story. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. It's Carol Baskin from Big Cat Rescue, and you are listening to Committed. And I'm Joe Piazza, and this is Committed. We interviewed Howie and Carol over Zoom, even though I desperately wanted to visit that tiger sanctuary. But COVID. Still, I wanted to make it feel special, so I dressed up in this purple tiger print jumpsuit. And let me tell you, I really do think that Carol appreciated it. We started at the beginning. Howie and Carol met at an animal rescue event. It was not for tigers, though. It was for dogs and smaller cats. Howie didn't really get into tigers until after he met Carol. Okay, so yeah, are we set? Yeah. I guess you want me to tell this. <laughs> <laughs> you always tell our words in the story. We met at the aquarium. There was an event that a mutual friend or, or mutual acquaintance was setting up to try to reduce the number of cats and dogs that were euthanized in our county because we had one of the highest rates in the county. Howie hadn't dated in a year but he'd recently decided that it was time. And when he did, he just looked up at the sky to put the thought out into the universe. And the universe was like, okay, Howie, it's time to date. Within days, his friends called him up to set up dates for the following three Friday nights. But that night, he was supposed to go to the aquarium. He got there early. The event hadn't even started yet. And so I went in and started up the ramp and... As I was starting up the ramp, I realized there was someone walking behind me, like 10 paces behind me. Here's this stately gentleman dressed in a suit. He, he has an injury to his back and his arm from a car wreck that causes him to walk at a little bit of a, an exaggerated tilt. And he just seems so stiff and so, so conservative. And it was like, I took one look at him and I thought, this is the guy. <laughs> the guy. I can absolutely loosen this guy up and I'm going to experience whatever it is that I have never looked for in a person before. So what do you do? You turn and, and you say hello. And I said to this very attractive blonde woman who was behind me, are you going to this you know pet thing? And she said, yes. And I said, well, how do you happen to be going to this? And at that time, very few people had heard of Big Cat Rescue, even here in Tampa. And so Carol was used to saying, and it was called Wildlife on Easy Street. So she was used to saying, I'm the founder of Wildlife on Easy Street. And then people would say, what's that? And she would have to give her elevator pitch. And so she said, I'm the founder of Wildlife on Easy Street. I would have married him right then. <laughs> well, <laughs> I said, oh, I've been there. And that's when she's supposed that's to say. That's when I would have been. 
<laughs> I think maybe we've done We've this. told this story too many times, I think. They walked into the main event space and Howie crossed the room to ask the bartender why no one else was there. I walked back to Carol with a very straight face. I, I said, it turns out there's no function. And she looked at me like, well, what do you mean? I said, it turns out the whole thing was a sham that Mary set up just so you and I would meet. And so he's always had just this really quick sense of humor. And that's one of the things I love most about him is he's so funny and he can make life so much fun, given the fact there's so much difficulty that we deal with. We kind of hung out together that evening for this thing that because we didn't really know very many other people or anybody that I can recall. And then as seven o'clock rolled around, I said, well, you know, this thing is winding down. It's been very nice meeting you. Hope to see you again sometime. And she said, yeah, I'd like that. And I left. And as I was walking down the ramp, I thought, you know, that was a very attractive, interesting woman. You know, it's Friday night at seven o'clock. All we had was hors d'oeuvres. You could have invited her out for a drink or something. I said, nah, I really just feel like going home and reading. So I went home and read. But I was absolutely smitten with him. So I went straight home and wrote to Mary, the person who had arranged for this get together. And under the guise of telling her what a great job she had done putting this conference together, at the end of it, I said, oh, and by the way, if how we should ask, here's my number so that he can contact me because he hadn't taken my number. I didn't know how to get a hold of him. I didn't know how on earth I was going to connect with this guy. So then (laughs) the next day, I get an email from Mary forwarding this email that Carol sent saying, you just have to call her. And I said, no, Mary. And I had never been married. And my, I have many women friends. And, you know, they were always tended to be on a mission to get me married to someone. And so this email came saying, you know, you just have to call this person. I said, look, Mary, you know, I've got these three blind dates lined up. That's all I can handle. And so... Uh, I'm not going to call her. I had the three blind dates, and and they, they were nice, but none that I wanted to see again. Carol sat by the phone for three weeks, waiting for Howie to call her. Three weeks, three weeks, and one night after Howie went on those three kind of lame blind dates that other people set him up with, he was throwing a dinner party at his house and thought, huh, I would like to have a lady here with me. Andy thought, maybe I should call that pretty woman that I met at the aquarium. I'm waiting for the phone to be slammed down. I mean, literally, when she said, oh, I'd love to, it was like a shock. And so I said, I I actually stumbled. Oh, 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 great. So we have the nice dinner. Carol goes home. And the next day, I get this email from Carol. You got mail. Saying what a nice time she had and analyzing, like going through and saying, you know, when you did this, it told me this about you. And when you said this, it told me this about you, all of which was very flattering. And then it said, but when I told my mother about the evening, she said not to get too excited because any man your age who had not been married, whose house was clean and well decorated and could cook like that, was probably gay, and you probably just invited me to show your friends that you weren't. The truth is that Howie had recently hired a decorator to remodel his kitchen, and he'd had the house cleaned before the dinner. He'd also, and this is a nifty little trick, he'd bought the food ahead of time at gourmet shops and then put them in his own serving dishes so it looked like he made it. It's bachelor magic, people. I just rocked back laughing, and I thought to myself, you know, this is a woman who says what's on her mind. I mean, who would write this? You know, this may, may be a woman where you don't have to guess what's on her mind. 
Well, that's true. It turned out to be true. <laughs> that's, it is. And, and so I wrote her back, and I said, well, let me explain. I told her about the kitchen and the maid coming and, and how I do the dinner. And I said, and if it ever becomes appropriate, I will be very glad to show you my preferences, but I'm not going to do the same for your mother. <laughs> that's Howie, you are funny. That's good. He is so good. <laughs> I often wonder what goes on in his head because this stuff just kind of like flies off the tip of his tongue without seeming to take any time at all to come to it. I just, I love his sense of humor. And so how long until you guys knew, oh, wow, this is it. Howie, you'd never been married before. Carol, you'd been married before only once, right? No, I'd been married a number of times. Well, twice. Oh, a number, twice. Okay. I had a, a stereotype of who I was attracted to, who were these very charismatic, daredevil-type people who were typically serial, womanizing, criminal, wife-beating, you know, just the most horrible kind of person you could possibly imagine. That was what I was constantly being attracted to. And Howie was everything I had never looked for in a person before and has turned out to be the best thing that has ever happened to me. And you were, what, 50-something? I know you were over 50 because you'd already bought your Mercedes in a <laughs> midlife crisis. I, I was 52. And a number of things went on leading up to this. But in terms of timing, it was probably somewhere in the, oh, I'm going to say five months later, when I said, you know, I really think this is the one. But, and I don't keep a diary, but I do what's called morning writing, a little writing in the morning to clear your mind. And I remember writing, but let's not do anything rash. Uh, let's give this some time. But I really think this is one, the, the one. And then about two months later, I called my brother who uh, had been the manager of a jewelry store. And I said, Rick, you know, nothing urgent, but I'd like you to start looking for a nice engagement ring for me. Um, so that was the timing. Yeah, we met in November 1st, 2002, and I think it was probably about May or June of 2003 when you went on that ring expedition, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like summer of 2003. Yeah. Something that was very important to me in a partner was integrity and you know, honesty. And we, we actually talked about that. Carol, you know, asked the question, what's important to you? He said integrity, which I thought was amazing because to me, that was the most important thing in a relationship. So as different as we are, and we joke about the fact that no computer oh. would ever <laughs> match this up, you know, we kind of share that. And that's really a really solid foundation for a relationship, I think. Obviously. We have still not had our first fight. We have come so close a couple of times, <laughs> but we have never had an argument. And it's because of the fact that we very early on talked about what was important to each other. And I think one of the things that you often refer to is Stephen Covey's um, statement that love is a verb. And we decided that we were never going to do or say anything to each other that would cause us to have to ask for forgiveness. Because whenever you have fights later on, it's never about the, you know, dishes being dirty or the kids running around the house. It's always, the fight is always bringing everything you already forgave each other about back into whatever this moment's crisis is. And so if you never have all of that baggage to bring into a new fight, then there's really nothing to fight about. And so we have managed to do that, what, 18 years now? 
Well, and what, what Covey said, love is a verb. It's a decision you make about how you're going to treat someone. That's not an exact quote, but it's the gist of it. Particularly when it came around to the time for us to do our vows for our wedding. You know, I said to Carol, you know, I think that our vows should be like the United States Constitution. And of course, she looked at me like, well, okay, what are you talking about? But as opposed to being critical, she said, well, you know, explain that to me. And I said, well, if you think about it, the Constitution is a document about how people in this country are going to treat each other. And I really think we ought to talk about how we want to be treated and what's important. And I said, you know, there is a real analogy between love and a fire, you know, a flame. And that's, you know, historically always been an analogy. But I think if you think about it, you can either throw water on it or you can throw more fuel on it. I think one of the things that really has proven helpful is given the fact that we know we're not going to get into a fight. I mean, we're pretty confident that there's like nothing that can come along now that would cause us to have a fight. It gives us the ability with every single challenge that we are hit with from outside the marriage, you know, things that we have to deal with as far as the cats go and the legislation and all of that, because Howie and I do come at things from just totally opposite angles. We also make fun of our differences. We laugh about our differences. I mean, I don't think a week goes by. We don't look at each other and say, you know, that is so not the way I would do that. We tease each other about it. And I just can't tell you how many times we look at each other and just start laughing. Sometimes we don't even have to say anything. I can be looking at her doing something and we look at each other and the just start The way you pour something laughing. or the way you open something. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, just how we deal with the kitchen. Um, oh. And and the other thing is, if she does something different, I mean, it can be a little thing. I mean, I know people who argue about how clean their house is. You know, couples, one is a cleanliest person and one is is not. And if Carol does something differently from me, as opposed to my letting it be a source of annoyance, and every time I see that, you know, having to, mm, gosh, you know, she does this, and or try to change her, I just smile and say, well, that's my Carol. And, you know, just... <laughs> brush it off. And that has worked extremely well. And I have to do that a lot, let me tell you. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break here. Be right back. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Carol and Howie got engaged on a beach on Anna Marie Island, just south of Tampa. They knew they didn't want a big wedding. Both of them aren't really people people. And besides, they already had to throw this 
huge annual fundraiser for the Tigers called, obviously, the Furball, which was already way more time intensive than any wedding would be. So I called my friend Phil, who had that house, and said, could we have the house? And would you mind getting your notary public license so that you could marry us? And so he agreed. And then Carol's daughter and the fellow she was dating at the time were going to come. So the plan was just to go down to the beach and have this little ceremony. Now, meantime, uh, we had constructed these vows that were, you know, very specifically meaningful to how we wanted to treat each other. And so we had that prepared. Well, actually, it took a little bit of a preparing because I didn't have in my mind exactly what it was that he was looking for in this constitution. So in my initial draft of our vows, I said things like I would never protest naked with PETA without cloaking my identity or that I would never point a firearm in his direction unless I was shooting in an anaconda that was killing him. (laughs) So these were not the things that he meant and I had to go in a second draft. But we did have a little bit of humor in the vows. Anyway, so that was the plan. But I thought to myself, you know, this is all nice, but I need to spice this up somehow. I need to make it more memorable. So I went online and ordered a caveman costume. So it was the caveman, you know, a flock or whatever you call it. Toga. Um, toga kind of a thing. And big bushy black hair and beard and a big plastic club. And so as we were at the house and all of us were supposed to head down to the beach and I had my tuxedo and I said to Phil, look, you carry my tuxedo jacket in the, in, we're doing things differently than normal. They head out, and I gave them some time. So I change into the caveman outfit. And if you can picture, I'm walking down to the beach with this caveman's toga thing and this big bushy black hair and beard and this club. And it is November 1st, so the day before was Halloween. So people in the area weren't too surprised that some drunk was still wandering the beach, I think. <laughs> Phil's girlfriend looked down the beach and said, Is that Howie? And Carol looked and said, no, Howie doesn't have black hair. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, that, that this, you know, really, you know, made it more of a, you know, just made it fun, made it memorable. And then we took pictures, one of which has now become very famous from Tiger King. But we took the pictures of me with the club, you know, pretending to beat her over the head and throw her over my shoulder. And, and then, pretending to throw me over <laughs> your shoulder. <laughs> And then, you know, the one where, and the whole leash thing was my idea that, you know, this, I'm, I'm now getting leashed, getting married. Um, and, and that photo has now become a figurine that a company called U2's uh, sells uh, <laughs> that we actually licensed it to. I use um, it in my cameos all the time for people that want me to announce their weddings. In the early years of their marriage, the cat sanctuary was their biggest stress. It was constantly losing money, and they were working all the time. And so there was financial stress of of trying to turn that around. You know, just the stress of the mission that we were trying to accomplish and it consuming almost every waking minute. I mean, in my view, we, we did not have challenges in our relationship because, for one thing, we had the benefit of getting married at a more advanced age. We both had a better idea of what worked or not. I had the benefit 
of some very easy acts to follow. <laughs> so, you know, if Carol and I had met when she was a young woman, it, it never would have worked. But I think she knew what was important to her and could appreciate things that she wouldn't have when she was younger. And also, we didn't have the issue that some couples run into of, you know, people changing over time and growing apart because, you know, by the time we got married, we were old enough that we weren't going to be changing an awful lot. So those were huge advantages. I, I almost cannot think of having or how someone would have a less stress-free marriage in terms of the actual relationship. The stresses have come from outside, and I think that battling those stresses together has been an important bond. So instead of those stresses driving us apart by making us irritable or whatever, as we talked about earlier, the fact that we were in it together and supporting each other and had each other's back. Like yeah, I was going to say, I always feel like when I envision how that has been, it's like us standing back to back fighting, you know, 180 degrees of each of us so that we've covered that 360 degree threat that we're always in that kind of a position with each other. I can picture that image of Howie and Carol standing back to back, looking for threats, looking for danger. And I think about it when I imagine what happened next. What happened when Joe Exotic entered their lives? Oh, here, kitty, kitty. Oh, mama's got some treats for you. We're going to take a quick break here. Be right back. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. In 2017, Carol learned that Joe Exotic, the man we now all know as Tiger King, was actively trying to hire someone to kill her. It's, a, it's quite an experience when you're sitting at your desk and the phone rings and you pick it up and the voice says, this is so-and-so from the Fish and Wildlife Service. And I knew who this person was because we had had a conversation about Joe a year or so before, but just in passing. And he said, I'm sitting here with this person from the FBI and we don't want you to be upset, but we want you to be aware and, and take precautions because Joe is actively trying to have someone kill Carol. I mean, that's not your everyday phone conversation. We all watched Tiger King. We know what happened. Joe felt threatened by Carol's tiger activism, and he was constantly putting out these videos describing very graphic violence against Carol. Carol Baskin, crawl this fence and try and hurt any of my animals again. 
you can guarantee God damn tea, I'm going to put a trap in you. Howie, in the meantime, was trying to figure out how to protect his wife. <laughs> Your way of protecting me is probably mostly trying to get me not to be a target. <laughs> yeah, well, Carol tends to be a risk taker and fearless. And so, you know, I had to urge certain cautionary things like not riding her bike to and from the sanctuary, the five miles for a period of time. And you know, we started carrying pistols in our car. When you watch in the movies where somebody's wondering if they're being followed and they're looking in the mirrors and looking around, well, that's the way we had to drive anywhere we went. This went on for years and years. Finally, in 2019, Joe Exotic was convicted on 17 federal charges of animal abuse and two counts of attempted murder for hire for a plot to kill Carol Baskin. A lot of us know this story already because we watched it from our couches in the early days. Now Carol and Howie also watched Tiger King, and they watched it the way most of us did. They binged it. They told me that they had absolutely no idea what to expect when they sat down to watch. You know, we had binge-watched Tiger King together just like everybody else did, because the program that we thought we were working on couldn't possibly have been what was being advertised as Tiger King. And so we, we binge-watched it thinking, well, at some point they're going to tell the truth. And when we got to the end of it, we just looked at each other and said, well, that was a missed opportunity. And all of a sudden, my phone started ringing, and it rang like every two minutes for the next three months with people screaming obscenities and how they wanted to kill me and they wanted to kill the cats and they wanted to kill my family and they wanted to burn the place to the ground. And so when you talk about being thrust into the personal spotlight as we were sitting there on the couch at the end of the last episode and my phone started ringing, that was our first taste of what that celebrity was. And I don't know what that was like for you. I mean, you weren't getting those, well, you were getting some calls like that, but not nearly the calls I was getting. So I don't know how you experienced it. Well, it was incredibly stressful. And you have to understand the context that this came after the year or so of being, you know, called by the FBI and told that Joe Exotic was trying to murder Carol and having to deal with that, waiting and waiting for him to be arrested and then waiting for the trial and you know, hoping that he would be convicted and then waiting for the sentencing. So we had been through all that together in the years before. And then COVID hit. And so the week before Tiger King, we had had to lay off half of our staff and cut other expenses and didn't know what was going to happen to donations, which fortunately have held up very well. And then Tiger King hit. So those three months were an absolute nightmare. But in some ways, it's harder for a spouse to see the other spouse attacked than if you were being attacked yourself. Oh, absolutely. So to see Carol so unjustly treated by these producers, the level of feeling of betrayal and rage. I mean, these were people who... You know, they made themselves out to be our best friends. They were going to expose all the animal abuse. You know, they were with us. We took them to Carol's mother's house and, you know, talked there. I mean, and we joked with them and, you know, didn't really think some of this joking stuff was going to get into the film, like, you know, me clowning around singing. So I'm really glad they kept that part, though. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when you sing. So I mean, it was difficult. It, well, it was more than difficult those three months. And we didn't know when it would end. 
we, we didn't know would we ever be able to go to a restaurant, you know, without somebody throwing something at us. Now, what's ended up happening is the people that we do meet, and of course, we've been doing sheltering at home, me particularly with my age, in the times when we've been out and about, when Carol's been out and about, actually people have been very friendly and supportive. So that has not been as much of a concern. But, you know, there are a huge number of people that, you know, believe this nonsense about Carol being involved with her husband's disappearance, which is just absolute idiocy. And so we'll still have to deal with it, but it's, you know, after the three months, things eased up. There's still the occasional phone call or somebody on social media. Um, <laughs> or just a couple of days ago, surrounding my daughter's house. Yeah, we just, over the gate. you know, originally people were coming to the sanctuary gate and acting up and you know, that has largely subsided, except if you showed up just a few days ago at our home, the gate to our house, it was, again, a situation where, you know, we were facing it together. If, if we had either had to face it alone, I think the stress level would have been, well, far more off the charts. But by just facing it together is a great comfort. I don't know if I feel that way, because I think, I think what has caused me the most stress is all of the vitriol of these people that could affect you or Jamie or the cats. If I only had to deal with people hating me, that would not be difficult for me at all. But because of the fact that you guys are in the crosshairs, that's what makes it really difficult. Yeah, I guess really, if you think about it, we were in very different situations, even though we were facing it together, because you would have that perspective. And I'm coming from the perspective of these people coming after you, yeah. um, which you know cons was m more hurtful to me than if someone had come after me. And a lot of times people do follow you, but they're, they've been following us for a selfie or to say hello, but we don't know that when we're being followed and trying to shake a tail. Well, and, and it's eased up now, you know, that he's in jail. Now that Joe is in jail, Howie and Carol can breathe again. They can reflect, they can think back on what has happened to them over the past five years. And I wanted to know exactly what Howie and Carol thought they were getting into when they signed on to do this documentary. It was presented to us as the Blackfish of Big Cats. Blackfish, for listeners who don't know, is a documentary about the, the treatment of the killer whales at SeaWorld. And it had a dramatic influence on SeaWorld and caused them to totally change what they were doing over a period of time. It was very effective, very widely seen. So that's what this was supposed to be. And so they came to us, I'm going to say, six or seven times over a five-year period. They would call on short notice, say, hey, can you be available Tuesday and Wednesday? We would clear the calendars for them. You know, did everything we possibly could to cooperate and do whatever they wanted, thinking that that's what this was supposed to be. When they asked an occasional question about Don, Carol's former husband, who disappeared, you know, as they asked a few questions, I said, well, why are you asking about that? That's not about the cats. And they said, well, we, we need the background. We need to build the personalities, but, you know, it's not going to be a big part of this. And then when they started asking question after question about Joe Exotic, I said to Eric Good, hey, you know, you're asking all these questions all the time about uh, Joe Exotic. You, you told us this was not going to be presented as this, quote, feud between Carol and Joe, that it was going to be about the industry and what's wrong here. So why all these questions? And he's such a good liar. He would say, well, we need the whole, all the information to know what to distill it down to, but he'll still only be a small part of it. Obviously, all of it lies. So uh, 
that's went on during during the the time that they were making the film. And obviously, it was quite different. And when you guys are watching it together, you're sitting there, you're binging it. Did you laugh? Did you cry? What was your reaction as you were watching this? So we're sitting there at the end of it going, is that it? They never exposed all of the lies that had just been told. So we were just utterly shocked at the end of it. We couldn't believe it. Yeah, and for me, it was just this intense feeling of betrayal. I just sat there in shock. They did you know, everything they could to take these innuendos, and it was clear that they were determined to build a case that Carol was responsible for his disappearance. You know, we had dealt with this occasionally before over the years with, you know, some local media and things like that, but never anything on this scale. I think you were really offended that people would think you were so stupid as to be with somebody that could possibly have killed their husband. You're a smart guy. I mean, he's a Harvard MBA. He's got a law degree. He's a really smart guy. He would not be living with a murderer. Well, and I've said that to people. I've said, look, you know, first of all, I would have to be the stupidest man in the world to marry someone if I thought there was any inkling of a chance that she was responsible for the disappearance of her husband. And anyone who gets to know Carol for even a relatively brief period of time would realize that is absolutely ridiculous. And, and each of the things that they used to create that impression has an answer. It's just you know, an explanation of why that doesn't show that you know, she was involved. But when, when they get to slice and dice and edit as they want, you're pretty much at their mercy. Well, and it's hard, right? You're trying to get the message out there, but you can't get the message out there to all of these millions of people that watched the show and come away with their very simplistic message. For one thing, all the people who know us, you know, I can't tell you how many times people have said to us, you know, when people bring this up, I explain to them, no, that's not the case. So I think that there are a growing number of people who realize that, you know, Eric Good is just a liar who did everything he could to try to make Carol look like the villain and Joe look like a sympathetic figure. I think ultimately it'll turn out that people by and large will get that these two producers are just dishonest, dishonorable people. We're close to the end of this episode and that means we should move on to something a little more fun, a little lighter. I wanted to talk about Dancing with the Stars. Dancing the Samba with her partner, Pasha, it's Carol Baskin. Obviously, I was not a dancer. (laughs) I had never danced. It was a sin in my fundamental Christian family to dance. And so that had never been a part of my life. But when the opportunity came along, you know, we were approached by close to 300 media outlets that wanted to talk about Tiger King. And my daughter had looked at the list and she said, you know, the only two I care about you doing are the Jimmy Fallon show and Dancing with the Stars. And I had heard of Dancing with the Stars, but I really didn't know what it was or the concept. And the Jimmy Fallon thing that I did turned out to be a prank that these two kids from the UK did that was actually hilarious. And they got like 7 million views. So it was worthwhile because I got to talk about the issues the whole time. But the Dancing with the Stars thing, my daughter, Jamie and Howie both thought that it was a way for people to see a different side of me. But for me, it was a way to get the message out about the cats because I felt like the biggest losers in Tiger King were the animals. 
these cats are suffering every single day at the hands of people who are being idolized and glamorized as these quirky characters and made it so much more popular for people to go and have their pictures made with cubs. And I needed to get that message out as to why that's such a horrible thing to do to these cats. And so the people at Dancing with the Stars said that they would give me the media opportunities to do that, both in their show, their packages that they do about each one of the dancers, and in the media that they would arrange surrounding Dancing with the Stars. And so my intent was to win that thing because that meant I would be in every single episode talking about the cats and talking about the issues. And I tried as hard as I possibly could to stay in the running, but I am horrible <laughs> at dancing. Anne and Keo, um, tonight, there was a few little slip-ups tonight, but you know, I think you have a lot of potential. Carol, Pasha, you, you know, you're here doing your thing. Unfortunately, I can't save you again this week. So I'm gonna have I to just with. could not get it. I don't have any rhythm. I'm just not, I, I, I did not have what it took to stay in for more than three, three episodes. I got a lot of media talking about the cat issues. Well, and we actually think Carol did very well. I mean, I'm really proud of her. For one thing, you know, she had a number of disadvantages. She was the oldest person in the group. This was physically incredibly demanding. By the time the third show came, I think she had her legs and feet taped like a racehorse. Um, I was. She, and the other people went out there earlier and, and got trained for more weeks, and we were concerned about how long she would be away. We had never been apart for more than a weekend, so this was really weird to be away for, what, a month or six weeks? And I'm pretty sure I broke my hand about a week into practice, and so the way that the dance pro moves the person who is not the expert around the floor is to really wrench your hands into position to make your body fly around. And so I went through weeks of that just excruciating pain. And because of COVID, I still haven't managed to get to a hospital to see what kind of damage I've done, but it still hurts to this day. Carol, when Carol <laughs> makes up her mind to do something, and she is a very quick study, she is someone who, who wants to excel at anything she chooses. So, Howie, you said you weren't really an animal person, that you'd had dogs and you'd had cats, but you weren't like a cat, capital C person when you met Carol. What was it like adjusting to Carol's life where cats were everything? Well, I'm sorry, I'm choking up a little bit. When I... You want me to leave the room? No, but when I, when I finally got to a point where I said, you know what, this is the one, and I was at that point uh, approaching 53, or 53 actually I was, and I said, look, if I'm going to get married, then my number one goal in life is going to be to make this woman happy. And so that meant, and, and the, the cats were so important to her, and you know, the cats of course have, have grown on me, I mean, they weren't an initial passion, but because it was her passion, to me it was a huge opportunity to play that role to to fulfill that goal of, of making her happy and I tell people I get a double benefit because what I do for the cats is so satisfying for these amazing animals and at the same time it's a way to make Carol happy so I kind of get a double reward for, for my work with the cats. Actually whenever I was dating I would always bring that person out to see the cats 
And I would watch how the cats reacted around them. And I really should have paid attention to the way the cats reacted to everyone I ever dated before Howie, because I didn't realize how different it was until I took Howie around. And the cats, of course, just loved him. They were calm in his presence. I give a lot of tours. I used to give a lot of tours. And what I always found funny is whenever I would give tours, the cats are nowhere to be seen. And yet the minute I go out there by myself, the cats are like, hey, mom. And they all come running up and talking and chirping and carrying on. And they would do the same thing with Howie being with me. It was exactly like I was coming out there alone. And so I knew that the cats loved him. For the past year, Howie and Carol have been isolating on the sanctuary and still fighting for the cats. A huge part of our mission in the last years, and if you said to me, what's the most important thing right now, is the federal bill, the Big Cat Public Safety Act, which would stop the cub petting and phase out the private ownership of having these animals in horrible conditions in backyards. And we started with that back in 2011, and we have never, ever been as well positioned as we are now as we start this session of Congress. The bill passed the House in December, didn't have time to get through the Senate, so it's been reintroduced. We're up to 130 co-sponsors already, and so we've gotten a much earlier start and coming off that momentum. And in the Senate, we expect this to be the first time that the bill is introduced on a bipartisan basis. So if you were to ask me what message I would like to give to your listeners, it would be to ask you to go to bigcatact.com, bigcatact.com, and we have a very simple process where you can read a little bit about the bill and contact your legislator. We make it very easy and urge them to co-sponsor the bill because the cub heading is the biggest part of the problem. You know, the, the cub headers need a constant supply of cubs. So some of them have 50 to 100 tigers living in horrible conditions, just pumping out cubs as fast as they can. And then these cubs can only be used for a couple of months and then nobody tracks what happens to them and they end up in these backyards in horrible conditions. When we first got married in 2004, on our honeymoon, we actually sat down and wrote out a 20 year plan for how we were going to approach this big cat crisis. And it really boiled down to two things. We were gonna take care of the cats that we had and start putting aside money, which was ridiculous at the time because we had no money but we would put aside money for them to have a pension fund and we would put ourselves out of business. So we had two plans and the putting ourselves out of business part was to end all of the abuses that caused there to be a need for a sanctuary to rescue animals from horrible situations. We shouldn't have horrible situations. And so that's what we are really closing in on with getting this bill to pass. I had the natural inclination to be a very suitable partner in viewing these animals as our, I don't know if I would say our children, but our charges and for fixing this problem so that more of them would not suffer this way. I slipped into the role very, very comfortably, I would say. I would say you actually nailed it when you said that you see them more as our charges because I would have said our responsibilities and I think it's very similar. I feel like we're all in this together to try and fix this global problem.
This episode of Committed was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza. A special thanks to Carol and Howie Baskin. Supervising producer is Ramsey Yunt. The executive producers are Joe Piazza and Tyler Klang. Theme song and music by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. Or send us an email at joe at committedpodcast.com. That's J-O at committedpodcast.com. You can grab a copy of Joe's book, How to Be Married, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. For more information about Big Cat Rescue and the work that Carol and Howie do, please visit bigcatrescue.org. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book.